I'm Douglas Brush, and you're listening to Cybersecurity Interviews. Cybersecurity Interviews is the weekly podcast dedicated to digging into the minds of the influencers, thought leaders, and individuals who shape the cybersecurity industry. I discover what motivates them, explore their journey in cybersecurity, and discuss where they think the industry is going. The show lets listeners learn from the experts' stories and hear their opinions on what works and doesn't in cybersecurity. Hello and welcome to episode 49 of Cybersecurity Interviews. In this episode, we're speaking with Keith McCammon. Keith is a chief security officer and co-founder of Red Canary here in Denver, Colorado. Keith runs Red Canary Security Operations Center and leads a group of expert analysts that monitor a continuous stream of potential attacks in their customers' environments. Keith is a known expert in offensive cybercomputing and offensive IT security from his background as Director of Commercial Security at Kairos and the Executive Director of Information Technology at Mantec. In this episode, we discuss his training and start in technology, working in the government space, founding and growing a cybersecurity firm, the problems he's trying to solve, scaling analysis, securing the cloud, solving the talent shortage problem, and so much more. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Thanks for listening. All right, Keith, thanks for joining me in Cybersecurity Interviews. How are you today? Um, I'm doing great. I'm great. Well, we're, we're in beautiful downtown Denver. Uh, we're, we're sitting in your offices for Red Canary. But before we kind of talk about how you got to here, how did you get in information security in general? Like, What was your kind of impetus to start this crazy career? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, my path was as like, long and unintentional as, as most of them, I think. The, uh, I, I kind of fell into IT work out of necessity, just um, paying my way through college and things like that, um, or paying part of my way through college. And um, I took to it. Yeah, I don't have like a formal computer science background or anything. So, uh, um, so we just you know, really took to technology uh, out of the gate and started doing you know, like local systems administration work and things like that. And um, when I, I graduated college during the dot-com boom, um, I did not go to work for any of like the really big dot like dot com companies like kind of on like the media side. I was I was really intrigued by infrastructure. So um, at the time, the uh, you know the uh, region like the bells had kind of been decentralized, right? Um, like through you know regulation or lack of regulation, however you choose to look at it. And um, so I went to go work for um, like a regional telecom carrier, um, which you know got a little bit bigger uh, as most of them did at that time. And so. Um, got really big into like network infrastructure, um, so like telecommunications, uh, global peering, and things like that. Um, and it was kind of a neat thing that happened there. I just you know um, started working on you know like large scale network architecture and telecommunications, like routing, switching, like BGP um, routers. Like uh, yeah, I did like a lot of BGP work stuff like that. But also did like you know like old Siemens, Stromberg, <laughs> yeah. Carlson, like big phone switches. So yeah. I got like big into like SS7 work and a lot of the like telecommunications side too. Um, and so like, this funny thing happened. I worked with uh, a couple folks um, who were like brilliant and like still keep in touch with and I consider like mentors to this day, um, who. You know, I would kind of watch them work and I learned a lot from them in terms of like network architecture and how like the internet works, global peering, kind of like the core protocols and things like that. And kind of reached this point where, you know, you have like most of the problems you run into with like systems, whether it's like computing or, uh, or like infrastructure, um, you kind of, you know, 
the longer you do it, the more interesting problems you find, right? And most of those problems are the result of like software bugs, right? So like the thing doesn't work the way it's supposed to. Um, or they're like human problems, right? Like the human told the computer to do a bad thing and like the computer listens, right? And so, uh, so got to do a lot of that, but like <clears throat> kind of in the next room over and we got to spend some time, you know, it, it, um, was very fortunate to get to, you know, we worked right around the corner from like UNet and some of the big socks. And so um, got to go visit those places and do work in some of those facilities. Um, and there was always this next room over where, where people were working on, like we thought we had the hardest problems, and then there's the like, other pocket of problems over there that um, that we didn't get to work on. I'm like, well, what is that? And um, you know, it turns out that that's kind of like you know, those are problems that are adversarial in nature and not like unintended consequences, right? And so it was just kind of like this, like I'm just I'm like a problem solving addict, right? So. Um, so that was it. I kind of, you know, just kind of um, was certainly not at the like pinnacle of anything, but at least where I was, um, like those ended up being like the most challenging and ongoing problems to solve, right? Where someone's deliberately causing you a problem, um, and so kind of just like escalated from there. So uh, you know, kind of moved out of telecommunications into defense. Um, and uh, was, you know, was very fortunate there to kind of like cross paths on accident with uh, like Marty Resch and some of the Snort folks uh, ran the DC users group, which was one of the first big ones. Um, uh, from there, uh, met a couple other folks and kind of like <clears throat> my career at that point kind of took like a like an interesting turn. I just uh, went to go to work, uh, do work for the Defense Department intelligence community. And so um, spent a number of years doing like offensive uh, information operations work. Um, so this um, is all back in Northern Virginia, DC that was, area. Yeah, that was all Virginia. And then um, like with a couple of the folks, uh, you know, that I worked with in that industry and worked with for a long time on the same team. Uh, um, they, they started another small company. I kind of followed them. That's kind of branched out into a couple more companies, some big, some small. And, uh, and that was it. So kind of, you know, after a, a pretty significant stint, um, you know, in the kind of DOD and Intel space, uh, you know, decided that we wanted to do something different. And here we are. So, so then from, from the East Coast to now Denver, how, how did how did you end up in this city in, and why here? Yeah, um, so you know back in the you know the earliest days of I guess Red Canary or at the time it, it wasn't Red Canary right it was just um, you know kind of doing what we do now but uh, you know under a different flag and so uh, was doing work uh, at Kairos which is you know the same company that you know Carbon Black was you know was born from um, and that we came from as well and so. Uh, we, you know, kind of identified this problem, um, was doing like IR and kind of ongoing detection work on top of, you know, EDR at you know, Carbon Black as an EDR platform. Um, and, you know, as time went on, we started realizing, all right, well, like, you know, we need to build some systems to do a better job of, you know, taking in all this endpoint data and kind of building detection around it. Uh, so I met up with Brian and Chris, uh, who are both, you know, they're both from Denver. Well, Chris is a native, and, uh, you know, Brian's from Denver like the rest of us. <laughs> He's been here for a few years. Um, and so they were here. I was there. Um, you know, the decision to kind of like build Red Canary in Denver ended up, I think, being a kind of easy one. Uh, you know, we, we knew we wanted to do commercial work. We had all come from doing, like, government and intelligence work mm -hmm. for a long time. Um, it's a very different type of business. And... Uh, 
And so, you know, we had a choice. You know, Northern Virginia is a fantastic place to, to be. Um, there's a ton of commercial work to be done there, too. But, um, you know, kind of you know, having to choose between, uh, you know, headquartering or kind of building the business there or building it in Denver where there's just, like, there's so much opportunity here and, like, such a great, you know, kind of community for, like, both technology and security. Um, Ended up being a no-brainer. Um, also, there was two of them and one of me, so I just flat got out got out voted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, uh, it was a long-winded way of saying I probably had no choice. Yeah, but um, yeah, and then just you know, we ended up here. Um, you know, the company's grown a lot over the last few years, and uh, it was two thousand uh, was. I'm yeah, to yeah, we started about four years ago okay. now, um, and so you know, over the course of the last like. Two, like year and a half to two years, we've grown pretty substantially. And, you know, obviously with that comes, you know, there's a lot more demands. I've spent a lot of time, you know, commuting to Denver effectively. And, uh, you know, I have a, have a wife and three young kids. And it kind of ended up, you know, looked at our calendar one day. And, you know, my wife and I sat down and said, I'm going to, I can take two or three months right off the top of next year just going to Denver. Like, why don't we just go to Denver? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's a, super easy place to convince yourself to move right now that was so, easy for me yeah yeah so uh yeah that's that was kind of that's how we meandered here so with red canary you said you know there's obviously been you know problems that you identified that maybe other solutions aren't doing or that you just see in general with security what i guess what are the type, types of problems that you're trying to tackle with what you're doing yeah we um <clears throat> That's a, a very multidimensional question. Sure, um, always is. So, I, you know, I think the very first one, um, you know, how the company's evolved, and I think the problems that we're trying to solve now are, you know, largely a function of the customers that we serve, right, or the customers that we'd like to. Um, that's definitely much bigger, right? I mean, the you know, at a macro level, you know, the problem we're trying to solve is the same as everyone else, which is like, stop bad things from happening, right? Like, um, you know, enable defenders and blue teams to win um, under, you know, trying circumstances that are a pro you know, result of technology or staffing challenges, like what have you, right? Um, that's like more on the end result on, you know, the upfront side is, is definitely like a little bit more, you know, <clears throat> operationally focused. And that's that, um, you know, we were kind of sitting side by side effectively with the carbon black folks as the tool was built um, and doing incident response on top of it. Right? And as I mentioned before, you know, uh, it, you know, having endpoint data in general and like that becoming kind of like, you know, pervasive now, like the availability of that data, um, really like it's a huge force multiplier for IR, right? Can expedite that process pretty tremendously. And so, um, did a lot of, you know, spent a lot of time doing incident response work um, using that type of data. And um, as we started to push farther and farther into it, you know, again, you know, we started to build systems to, you know, do a better job of describing the things or kind of you know, the selection criteria effectively that we wanted to take from the, the data itself. Um, you know, identifying as many interesting events as we could. And so, um, we started doing that and then, you know, very quickly realized, you know, we, we don't have a, you know, we don't have an alert, like an alerting problem and we don't necessarily have like a selection criteria problem. What we really have is an analysis problem, right? And so if you subscribe to this view that, you know, to find the thing you haven't seen yet, like the only way to do that is to look at everything that's right. going on, <laughs> which is like a very like utopian kind of vision, right? Um, 
And so, you know, like the really, like the first problem that we set out to solve, you know, using technology and the one that we still, you know, spend maybe the most time working on today is, you know, how do you continue to push as far as you can towards, you know, looking meaningfully at 100% of interesting events, right, observable events. Um, it's a really hard thing to do. You're never going to get to 100%. Um, but we started looking at, you know, the very small percentage that we were able to get to, uh, you know, using that kind of, you know, alert and reactive approach, right? Um, and like your, your path to scaling that is effectively just, you know, keep making like the team of people who's working on, you know, alert fidelity bigger and bigger and bigger and kind of like a losing proposition. So, um, so really like the, you know, to kind of come back to like the actual problem, it was that, you know, there was, there was an analysis problem that we couldn't scale, right? Um, we knew that we wanted to look for this really wide swath of things in endpoint data. Um, most of it's not malware, right? <laughs> like it's the things that happen after the malware lands. Um, and so, uh, so the way to do that was to basically devise a system and, you know, it's effectively kind of, you know, suppression driven analysis, meaning that, um, you know, build a system that makes it really efficient for analysts to like, get rid of what's good. Um, and as opposed to, again, just constantly focusing on like, how do we create higher fidelity alerts, right? Those kind of, by definition, will blind you to something that you haven't seen at least once, mm -hmm. um, which is dangerous. So, so that was it, you know, building a system that allows us to say, you know, if we see this thing and this sequence of events is okay, like we're not gonna look at that again. Um, but anything else that this tool does, we're just going to look at at least once, right? Um, and so that was probably the first big problem we set out to solve. And again, still working on today, right? Like, the, you know, the bigger you get and the more data that you take in and have available to you, the, you know, the more kind of like dimensions to, to like workflow and suppression and things like that you end up building. Well, now that you, you know, you kind of come from heavy infrastructure background, now where we're seeing a decentralization and you know, a lot of removing the core stuff that lived in people's offices and the greater adoption of cloud compute, architecture, storage, um, do those same problems exist? Uh, yeah, they absolutely do, right? Um, and, you know, there's, <clears throat> you know, looking at that, the, um, so, you know, collection, uh, uh, like, take, just take, again, like, take thick endpoint data, right? So let's, like, even set aside the cloud stuff for now, right? Um, you know, for a long time, everyone took for granted that, you know, all of the controls that you put in place would be available to everyone all of the time, right? So if you, you know, when everyone came and sat down in the office, <laughs> like their internet traffic could only go out one way, right? And they could, like, you could see everything that the system did all day long and it would never talk to anything that you didn't own. And, um, and so, Again, even like, you know, the cloud services is like another fascinating rabbit hole, but just what's happened to the endpoint itself, right? And the fact, you know, these things, they travel all over the place. Um, you know, most businesses that start today, like have no office, right? They, you know, the whole like perimeter is, a, is kind of disappearing thing is not, um, you know, it sounds a little cliche, but it's a reality, right? I mean, like the, there are companies with people who do nothing but work at you know, Starbucks or a cafe. I, that, <laughs> I would say, you know, most of our workforce is distributed now and, and I'm, I'm trying to design an architecture for that. And it's like, I come from 25 years of traditional architecture and they're, they're, we got rid of all the servers and switches. I'm like, oh crap, now what do I do? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a, yeah, it is. It's a, it's a super cool problem to think about. Um, and, you know, like we... You know, 
we're, we try to do a really good job of making sure that, you know, we're looking at the data that's available to us to, to find things. Um, but at the same time, you know, we're also running and defending a business just like everybody else, mm -hmm. right? Like we're in the exact same position as our customers. We don't have an unlimited, you know, the amount of time and money to go spend on security controls and things like that. And so, um, you know, we've like in that respect, probably the same as, you know, you and most others, we just, you know, have, you look really, really hard at the things you can control, right? Like application whitelisting, like try to keep your endpoints clean, um, protect identity, you know, like wrap as much around identity protection as you can possibly afford, mm -hmm. right? And that's, um, you know, try to do those things really, really well and in depth and then just look meaningfully at everything else that happens um, and, you know, Again, try to do a good job at finding interesting events and making sure that they're you know they're not doing harm. So. Yeah, it's it's definitely a unique problem, Travis. And one of the things I, I kind of told my users, they're like, "Well, what if you put this, this, and that?" So you know, we can work around things. I'm like, "You can work around whatever." Yeah, you know, our goal is to protect. Really, it's not you know I'm trying to say it's not from outside attacks. More of attacking, uh, protecting us from you, the user. <laughs> and that's what I'm finding more with the distributed model. It's you know it all comes back down to the endpoint now. Because you, know, you don't have that funnel anymore of, like I said, of a DNS controls, the HTTP, all that stuff that went through one pipe. Now it's the, really a global mesh. And so, you know, how do you, how do you protect people from themselves, I guess? Yeah, that's, that's a fascinating problem, right? So there's, you know, there's, you know, there, there's obviously like, you know, the educational aspects and stuff like that. Um, and the, you know... I don't know. Like I think, and a lot of maybe this is a lot of a you know product of spending a lot of time <laughs> looking at like what actually happens, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, there's there's definitely a lot that you can do to protect the user. Um, you know, we assume that that's going to. I mean, everyone assumes that's going to fail sooner or later. Sooner or later, and so um, have kind of taken this like uh, very different mindset. And you know, as we've seen you know, more data and more companies and encountered more problems and started to, again, like run headlong into the problems, you know, on our own as well, um, have taken this like really unique view uh, of how to do that. Or it's not unique, um, I shouldn't say, but it, it's, it's new and it was unique to me at the time. Um, it's certainly not an original idea, but, you know, um, you do everything that you can to kind of protect the user from themselves, right? Um, education, you try to give them good context. You know, if they receive an email that might be phishing, like try to devise systems that, you know, block that whenever it's possible. But if it's not possible, um, try to do a good job of at least giving them an explicit warning, right? Yeah. Put a banner at the top of the email and say, hey, look, we're not really sure, but this looks like it might be awful. <laughs> like, yeah. hope that they make a good decision. Um, it's imperfect, but it's better than, like, just making assumptions and hoping for the best. Um, so, uh, but, you know, to get back to my point, the, you know, the, so on the flip side of that, like, what do you do um, assuming that's going to fail and, you know, have this like, concept of just effectively, you know, like shaping the battlefield, right? And so um, you, you can't prevent it all, but, you know, we know enough about how to prevent most of it um, that it puts us in a position where it makes it much easier to watch kind of the narrow space that's left, right? And so when we talk about application whitelisting and things like that, um, yes, it prevents things like, you know, obvious malware from getting dropped on a box, um, and the same is true of, you know, like aggressively proxying internet traffic and doing, you know, DNS firewalls and things like that. Like every one of those things, um, 
there's like a, everyone kind of focuses on the blocking component of security controls. Um, but I'd argue that like there's every bit as much value on the tail end of that in that, you know, if you have application whitelisting in place, like it's not impossible to bypass, but very unlikely, right? Um, from, you know, in, in terms of, you know, dropping a, dropping a new executable file onto a system yeah. running it, right? Um, so what that allows you to do is now you can say, all right, um, you know, we've, we've, you know, we've eliminated or mostly controlled the ability for an attacker to just introduce arbitrary code. Um, now what are they gonna do, right? They're gonna move to abusing native tools and, to, and doing things like that. And so, um, you know, that kind of battlefield shaping concept is that, you know, A, you know, you're putting these controls in place to block as much as you can, but what you're also doing is putting yourself in a real good position as a defender and that, you know, where you used to have to worry about everything, like, you still have to worry about a bunch of things, but it's a much smaller sure. number, right? You keep a really close eye on processes that allow you to do like local script injection, um, things like that, you know, manipulation of the tools that are already on the platform. And so, um, you know, you, you can't ignore everything else, but it, like a little bit of focus goes a long <laughs> way, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's only so many hours in a day to look at alerts. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? So, you know, yeah, just put yourself in a position where, you know, they kind of, they have to walk through the door that, you know, that you know you've left open, right? And yeah. so you can sit here and you can stare at that door all day long. Um, it's, you know, it's not a glamorous job, but uh, I'd rather do that than, you know, like run circles around the whole, the whole facility all day, like yeah. wondering which way somebody's going to try to come in, right? So, um, yeah, so I think that's, you know, that's kind of like one approach and kind of... Um, of technique we like adopted and have tried to evangelize to the customers. So. Yeah, and so, you know, being that you you now have been kind of a well, you are a co-founder of a company. You know, how how has that changed your kind of day-to-day -day life? I mean, where you were doing a lot of the the hands-on keyboard work. How do you how much of the time do you spend now? Or like, how's your how's your day-to-day -day now as a C level? I'm I'm running a company kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> C level. That's funny. Um, yeah, uh, so, I mean, you know, I, I guess the, the people on my team will probably tell you that I spend more time pushing buttons than I should, <laughs> um, and it usually, like, I have the best of intentions, but I probably just cause them more problems yeah. than, um, than, you know, than problems I solve. Uh, it, it, I mean, it's definitely, it's changed a little bit. I mean, you know, I, um, it's definitely, you know, it was definitely my first foray into business, and so, um, you know, it, learned a lot about the financial side of things and you know um, I'm very fortunate that you know, like there are other people here far more capable of me than worrying about that uh, and they do a great job of, of taking care of it but um, uh, so <clears throat> you know I don't spend as much time pushing buttons and writing code and doing work you know doing real work I say as I'd like um, but yeah on the the you know the flip side of that is like have had an opportunity to build and like there's an absolutely incredible team here like they don't need me to do the work and frankly everyone's probably far better off if I just like you know stick to kind of making sure that like things are going in the right direction at a pretty high level. Um, I, I would say the other like the other like huge impact on you know like day to day focus is, um, and uh, I'm also not not nearly as good at this as anybody else here, but like product marketing, right? It becomes a really interesting problem. Um, it's a like highly unusual thing for like a lifelong like information security or IT person to like attach themselves to. Um, 
But I think, you know, and it's not just me, like everyone here, like we all spend a lot of time thinking about it. And I can guarantee that we all spend a lot more time thinking about it than we had ever imagined we would. Because um, the reality is that's, you know, if we, you know, we want to try to help people and if you can't, you know, concisely explain like what you're going to do for them and prove that there's value on the back end of it, uh, like you never get to do the cool technical work that you set out to do, right? And so, um, I think that's been probably the most surprising, um, you know, aspect of like work breakdown. Um, you know, starting a company and trying to grow it is like you spend time working on a lot of unexpected things. Um, there's amateur psychology and a bunch of other stuff that gets involved, <laughs> but uh, but like those are those are the big ones, right? Yeah. And how I mean, what what are some of the solutions you found for some of the problems? So somebody said, you know, hey, I'm, I'm about to start this company. What what lessons can you give them and say? avoid this pitfall <laughs> oh wow um i mean there are <clears throat> it, you know i guess if i think like think through like the biggest like lessons that we've learned or at least that I, i'll just i'll speak for me obviously not for anybody else but um yeah i think probably the most interesting one um is that you know there is a very natural tendency to you know have an idea and then, um, you know, particularly if you have a giant pile of cash dropped in your lap, to spend most of that cash on just running out and trying to sell it as quickly as possible. So effectively going from, you know, concept to sales um, with very little in between. Um, we were very, very fortunate. <laughs> like Corey, we were like one of the first folks that came on here, um, like marketing savant. Um, and so we were very fortunate that, uh, you know, we kind of, like had some good guidance there. Um, we, you know, kind of went from concept to, you know, a small number of paying customers and then really kind of like spent a lot of time focusing on, um, on like marketing and trying to understand how to describe that um, like accurately. Uh, and, and also on the, on the backside, you know, making sure that we're iterating from a product perspective and making sure, you know, we're like, we're solving real problems, um, uh, and not just the problems for the small number of customers we had, but the, you know, solving those in a way that they could apply to you know, 100, 1,000, 5,000 businesses. So, um, so I, I think that's probably the single biggest like lesson or like takeaway. It's just that you know, there's a really natural tendency to just want to go <laughs> like sell, 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 and that's great, um, but you know, the the sales thing at Red Canary was the last team that we built. And it's a fraction of the size of like any other company our size, right? I think um, I shouldn't say any other company our size, but it's definitely a fraction of the size of you know a, a stereotypical kind of sales-driven startup. Um, and so, um, like that that lesson has been huge. Like we we really like it forced us to like really think critically about you know whether we were doing the right things, whether we can clearly communicate them um, to customers and prospects. Uh, and 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 learn how to sell it on our own, right? Like do it, like do it the hard way for a while. Um, it's it's an extraordinarily humbling <laughs> experience, <laughs> uh, and like even to this day, right? I mean, um, it's like it is by far the hardest like thing that like I've ever tried to do. And I'm, I'm sure if you ask around the office, like you find at least a couple folks who say the same thing, right? Um, yeah. So. You know, when you kind of look at, you know, what, what you're trying to build, it's always, you know, we've talked a little bit before we start recording about, you know, the hiring people and getting the right type of people. There, there's always that 
you know, talent acquisition cost and time and try to get it. But then there's, you know, talent retention. And some of the things I've followed about Red Canary over the past, you know, year that I've been kind of watching you guys from afar was certainly kind of built a cool culture. Uh, you know, so how important was that in, in your kind of vision of what you're doing to build something that kind of holds people once you get them? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, I mean, it's obviously critically important, right? Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, everyone talks about the cybersecurity talent shortage, but I'd argue that like in any high demand business, like engineering talent is not any easier to come by than like cybersecurity talent if you're looking for like really, really great people. And so, um, yeah, it, I mean, it's, it's really important. Um, you know, we, <clears throat> you know, we, when we started the company, right, we, you know, Brian, Chris, and I have, you know, not at the time, but, like, we've got three kids apiece, right? <laughs> like, we are not, like, you know, young, freewheeling, like, we have houses, mortgages, like, college is looming. It's, uh, <laughs> like, so, you know, when, it was really, really important to us to to build a business where, you know, like, we'd be happy um, and not just, you know, it's not just rewarding because you're doing cool work, but like rewarding because, um, you know, we can take care of our families and don't have to, you know, kind of, so just even from like a benefits level, right? Like the very first thing we did was like put in place a really like good and it's an expensive benefit structure, but you know, the thought there is, all right, um, you know, forget about career development and all of those things, like focus on the basics. Like you hire a, a human being and, you know, sometimes those human beings have families and other tiny little human beings that they're responsible for. And, you know, wouldn't it be nice if like, even before we think about like how we kind of enable their career and give them satisfaction at work, like they don't have to worry about like anything else, right? Like healthcare, insurance, like all those things are just like taken care of. And so that was kind of, like that was one of the very first things we did and I think kind of like set the tone for, you know, how we wanted to like treat employees um, as we grew um, and also like how, you know, the expectations we wanted to set and impose on the business to make mm -hmm. sure that, you know, like there is going to be a high cost to running this business um, just to like, just to do things like take care of people and make sure that they're healthy and happy and not stressed out about like, Silly, you know, I say silly things like healthcare, which is a very first world kind of thing to say, but um, you know, it's not a thing that people should have to worry about. So I think you even offer gym memberships, right? If I, if I yeah, that. yeah, we got all kinds of good stuff. And so, um, so like that was kind of you know that was our going in position. And again, like I'm completely ignoring like the career development side of things. Um, I think you know once we kind of got past that, um, we, you know, when we talk about like what we all want to do, like what does Red Canary like set out to do, right? Um, right now we do some pretty specific things, like if you look at it from the outside in. Um, but again, if you ask around, like people are here because they want to solve like really interesting problems, right? And we want to help people. Um, and it's a problem that we're solving today, like happens to be a problem today for a bunch of people in five or 10 years, that looks really different. And, you know, we just follow interesting problems and, you know, kind of letting that flow down a little bit too, uh, in the sense that, you know, we don't, um, you know, we don't do a, like a lot of um, like overt marketing, right? Like the people that work here, like love like educating folks, they love getting into the weeds and technical concepts, they love doing research, they like building tools and sharing information. And, um, you know, we 
hopefully the work that they do like day to day here, um, like operational work is, is rewarding um, and a lot of fun. Uh, but, you know, also just, you know, giving them an opportunity to, you know, to get out, um, you know, go meet the community, uh, interact with people, um, you know, put out the same content that they'd probably put out if they, like, you know, spent all their time on their own personal blog, but, like, let them do that here, right? And it just ends up kind of being, like, this big hobby for everybody that, like, happens to make money. <laughs> so you get to do it all day. Yeah. Right? And, uh, and that, I mean, I, you know, Again, there's, you know, there's a lot of things that kind of funnel up into it, but, um, you know, I think those kind of like, those kind of core principles of just like being, you know, very educationally driven, kind of taking care of people, um, making sure that we're always working on hard problems and trying to eliminate, you know, repetitive problems and toil, right? Like those, I think those things are, you know, not specific to any one industry, right? Um, uh, but hopefully kind of like lay that groundwork and kind of allow people to like hopefully be happy here for a long time. Yeah. So obviously you've taken on some mentorship roles within that too. And, you know, one of the questions that you've probably been asked from time and time again is, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm new in cybersecurity. How do I get started? Or I, I want to get in and how do I get my foot in the door? And how do you typically answer that question when you get it? I love this topic. Um, <laughs> so, <clears throat> At some point, uh, you'll get to talk to Joe, who is like the uh, kind of like our, our resident, uh, you know, expert on this and, and has done a really good job of, of kind of helping to like communicate that to folks. You know, we were talking right before we started over coffee, right, about, um, you know, some of the local educational foundations and programs and stuff like that. Um, the, uh, but, you know, like my perspective on that ha has always been really, really clear, um, you know, Cybersecurity, um, in particular, you know, I keep saying like the business like aspects of it aren't necessarily unique, but I think that you know, as an industry, you know, look at it in the context of like my path here, right? And it's um, you, you know, you can go right ahead and learn security concepts, right? You can come out of high school and you can go right into a security program in college, um, and there's like there are like there's a massive and growing corpus of information that you can absolutely go right into and be good at, right? There is like data and privacy regulations, there's GDPR, like there's all of these dimensions to security. There's governance, like compliance, policy, um, that are all like valuable and needed um, in different places at different times. Uh, on the, I think on the applied like cybersecurity, um, like, you know, operations, research, things like that, uh, like the single best, like the single piece of advice that I give to everyone is, you know, first of all, like find a technology that you love and are passionate about and learn everything about it, right? Um, then you kind of naturally gravitate towards, you know, moving away from, all right, like, you know, solving bugs and configuration problems. Like what are the problems that are left? They're the ones that someone deliberately introduces. And so, um, and I, I think that progression is really important, right? Like you can't adequately like defend or protect a technology that you don't fully understand. And if you, you know, uh, there's a million examples, like too many for me to try to rattle off the top of my head, but like, you know, you look at the people in the information security community um, that are really widely respected and looked up to, right? Those people did not set out to become like information security rock stars or like, like Twitter gods, right? Like. They actually, like most of them are just the people who 10, 15 years ago 
and I'm like thinking through my generation yeah. here, but you know, they were the folks who like, you know, got the deepest into, you know, the Linux kernel. Um, you know, like it was really fortunate to, you know, to work with a, like an outstanding, like offensive IO team. And like those folks, um, you know, none of them, I don't think set out to be security people. They just like, they dove like all the way into any technology that they found, like whether it was hardware, software, uh, communications, radio, and like just completely mastered that technology at like the lowest level possible. Um, and then again, like, you know, what are the problems left to solve, right? They're, like you're dealing now with like abuse and kind of like adversarial issues, right? And those are, um, you know, not only I think that some of the most challenging, but you know, if you, if you, you know, if you have the type of personality, right? <laughs> um, you know, if you're a problem solver, uh, yeah, I think it was, um, you know, Alex Payne, a long time ago who, you know, kind of described like, you know, doing CTFs and stuff like that as like building puzzles for people who eat puzzles for breakfast. Yeah. Right. And, um, and you know, it, if that's, if that's the way that you like to work and you kind of thrive on like, you know, challenge, chaos, problem solving, um, you know, the huge advantage, like once you kind of have mastered technology and you've decided you want to move into, into like information security, um, like you're also never going to run out of them. Right. Like it's, yeah. It's, well, uh, I say like, you know, most good security people or IT people started with, you know, by answering that one question that they kind of look back and say, wow, I, I don't know if I should have answered that. But when somebody said, hey, can you just take a look at this real quick? And it's never real quick. And it's always that, you know, one thing. And, it, and it's funny because I, that's how I started with so many things in, in traditional infrastructure IT. But now as we're moving into cloud environments, I said, you know, I really want to learn Azure. I want to learn how to secure that. There's a lot of dev and SecOps that, and that. Let me just take a peek at that. And it's been six or seven weeks of five hours a day of just digging through it and playing with it. And it's like there's no other way but to do it and, and really kind of try to administrate it for some of my users. And people are like, why are you, of all people, writing help desk tickets? Because I was like, I want to know what breaks so I can see the patterns. And I need to see every little thing that goes on. Yeah. And that's the only way. Just, you have to get immersed. Yep. Uh, I was listening to, like, um, I, I can't remember which of your, your old podcasts it was. I, it was uh, one of the ones I listened to, like, just a couple of weeks ago. But, uh, you know, there was, um, uh, and maybe it was, it might have been James Carter, uh, who, who was talking about, like, you know, working at the help desk, right? Like, how do you get started in security? And that's, and I think if you ask around folks that are, you know, the deepest into security now, like, you know, like, I did dial-up tech support out of college. Like, I fixed a bunch of printers. Like, I did all these, like, in retrospect, they seem like awful things, but like that's a foundation, right? It's like, very wax like a, on, wax off. Yeah, <laughs> and but you know, like that's like those are, you know, I, we, we always talk through, um, you know, especially when we're like you know interviewing folks or you know like trying to like you know mentoring or you know speaking with folks who are kind of like trying to get into the information security community now, and uh, you know. I, I said earlier, you know, learn as much about the technologies you can and then, you know, then kind of evolve into doing security work. And I think that's actually like, that's probably a little narrow because I glossed over the most important thing, right? Which is like, what are the realities of how this stuff gets used? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's actually really interesting, you know, when we started the business, like we couldn't go out and hire people. Like no one had, you know, N number of years of endpoint <laughs> telemetry experience. Like, EDR was brand new. Um, the platform we built was brand new. Like nobody had experience with any of this stuff. And so who did we go looking for? Like we looked for people 
who you know understood the security concepts at a really low level, um, but also had a ton of experience with like either like enterprise IR or enterprise IT, and like there wasn't any one that won out. Like yeah, yeah you, you think starting a security company like having a bunch of IR forensics people like that's all we want. Like let's just go find an army of them, but they're good at doing like a really specific set of things under specific circumstances, um, there's a tremendous amount of value in just like, you know, have, like having folks who understand how this stuff gets used and also like why it can't just be changed, right? <laughs> you know, the, um, you know, you kind of, I mean, you talk to like far more like CISOs and things like that than I do, right? And like, like there's a super common theme there, which is that, you know, it's not just we're going to do this, we must do that, you can't do this, um, you know, the business, you know, with very few exceptions, is not there to do security things. Right? They're there to do something else, and uh, and there's a bunch of realities that come with that, right? You can't just like impose change, and like having folks that you know that understand that and that understand, oh well, like this is why this thing behaves in this kind of unusual way. Like it looks objectively terrifying to us, but you know, one of the folks in the socks is just like, oh, yep, I know exactly what it is. Like, seen it a thousand times. Is yep. this thing over here? It looks like this. It's doing this. And we're like, like you never figured that stuff out, right? Yeah. Like, no substitute for that, like, operational experience, right? And it's it's IT stuff, right? It's like security is an IT problem. Yeah, um, a lot of times. So. Well, it's funny, you know, it's, it's always, you know, there's always that, that challenge. I'm sure you, you've seen it in, in a hiring role is, you know, do I make lateral hires or do I, I realize I'm going to hire somebody that might be a little bit more junior and just invest that three to six months before they're really at the capacity I need them. And have you encountered that problem and do you find yourself going towards that junior person to train them up more as a more valuable strategy? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there's, there's obviously a place for both everywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot, I think it, you know, our hiring criteria definitely tree up, um, you know, much closer to uh, you know, like attitude, humility, like ability to talk to others <laughs> um, and, you know, get along nicely. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, that kind of like that skills mix, um, it's definitely changed. So like, you know, early on, um, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, like under the same constraints as any new business, right? And so, um, you know, looking for, you know, we needed some folks that could come in, like quick ramp time, super high impact, don't need a lot of guidance, know the problem they're trying to solve. Um, but on the flip side of that, you know, particularly as we've grown, um, and, you know, now we, you know, we've invested a ton of time in, uh, in training um, and trying to figure out, okay, um, you know, the reality of the situation is that, you know, we can't, like, we're not going to be able to find a whole bunch of people who are, like, kind of at the pinnacle of, like, analysis, incident response, to like, engineering, things like that. Um, and so, yeah, we, you know, we've invested a lot of time and money over the last two years in particular in trying to make sure, you know, make sure that we, you know, do a good job of, um, of documenting, training, like, mentoring people internally, um, to enable us to, you know, find folks that might have a little bit less experience or even just a different experience, right? Um, yeah. Again, like, you know, my dream would be, you know, an, like an army of people who like come from a help desk and like understand IT in the trenches and like understand the actual, like the problems that our customers are facing, mm -hmm. trying to, you know, 
like make technology available um, at a like faster pace and lower cost all the time and still make it safe, right? And um, if we can take a bunch of folks like that, and we are, like we've been hiring, you know, hiring people with, I wouldn't even say less experience, but you know, different experience. Like we're able to hire people with, you know, vastly different backgrounds and interests um, and, you know, level set them to do what we need to do, but also, you know, like make sure that they're in a position where they can like, you know, everyone's experience is valuable just in different ways, right? So, uh, you know, that, um, I, it's definitely a winning strategy, right? You're, yeah. just, you're not going to find people like with 20 years experience forever. It's like scotch, right? Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> like there's only so much old scotch in the world. Yeah. Um, and so there's a ton of value in being able to, you know, to ramp people up quickly. Yeah, I mean, it's that, that HR, you know, I think everybody sees the HR requests that are out there, you know, 10 years of cybersecurity experience, CISSP, like all the certs. And yeah, they have to be, you know, at a fraction of the cost, willing to relocate, travel 80% of the time. It's like everybody wants unicorns, but they're just not not the reality. Yeah. And I'd say some of the best offensive security people I've worked with have been in like audio engineering or just things that they just come from different. So you have to look for those, those oh, wait, they kind of get it people and you can pick those out, but that's that's also a hard thing to, to quantify. Yep. And it, hopefully, you know, the, I mean, the industry's changed a lot, like in, in 20-ish years that I've, I've been in it between like, I, you know, technology and mostly security. But, uh, and, you know, I think, you know, hopefully if we do nothing else, and I think it is moving in this direction, um, you know, we, we recognize the limitation of like, of those type of criteria, right? Um, you know, just uh, security and I think, you know, high-end engineering technology in general, like, is and should be a meritocracy, right? Um, and, you know, I, I certainly know, like, I, our team's done a, a great job, and I don't do most of it, but um, but our team's done a really good job of, you know, focusing on, you know, what people know, what they're interested in doing, and what they can do. Um, and that's it, right? Um, you know, if, like, I could not tell you right now of the 20 some people on our security team who's been to college, who's, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know where most of them have worked in the past and that's not because I'm disinterested, it's just because um, like, you know, we're like really, really focused on like what people can do. And I think the more as an industry we start to focus on that, right? Um, yeah, these artificial constraints, like, you know, must have 10 years pushing this button. Like, yeah. you've, you've proved nothing and, like, everyone's done a great disservice and probably wasted a lot of time, yeah. like, reading about that stuff and talking about it. And, like, on the applicant side, like, sweating it, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> makes you super nervous when you come into those and, like, you're already put in this position where, like, you don't have the number of years of experience. And, like, you feel inadequate and you tend to get defensive and it just, I don't know. Sets it up. <laughs> yeah. Well, Keith, I, I greatly appreciate you taking the time today. Where, where can everybody kind of find you on the interwebs? Uh, um, yeah, I'm uh, uh, KWM on Twitter, which is probably the, the easiest and shortest <laughs> uh, shortest of all handles or, or addresses. Um, so that's probably the easiest one. Uh, and, you know, I'm, we're around, you know, locally and on planes, trains, and automobiles for most of the year. Yeah, so, I think it's uh, funny. We, we, we first connected not in Denver, but was over on the Denver Slack security channel in uh, during uh, ShmooCon in D.C. So, yeah, I, I see you travel quite a bit. So Yeah, we get around. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, try to keep in touch with as much of the community as we can. Right? Yeah, for Just sure. Kind of learn from people. So. Yeah, I'll be sure to put the, that, the blog, and uh, some of the links in the show notes. Awesome. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks All so right. For well, thanks me. for the time. Thank you so much for joining us today on Cybersecurity Interviews. 
I hope that you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Please go to cybersecurityinterviews.com where you can find every episode, including show notes and links for each guest. There you can also find social media links and to sign up for new episode notifications. Thanks. We'll talk soon.